2016. This is interviews, music reviews, and more. This is, this is The Hotter Show. What is up, everybody? We are Rolling Audio here today in episode 336 of The Hotter Show. I hope you guys are doing absolutely fantastic. Thank you so very much for tuning in and clicking that play button. We got a kick-ass episode for you here today, as I try to every single week right here on The Hotter Show. I am sitting down and having a chat with my old buddy, Luke Perron, who is, of course, the digital media creator for impact wrestling and as well as a content creator and media creator we have so much ground to cover it's not even funny so i'm going to keep this intro very compact we talk for almost two hours about really what he's been up to the last few years how he got started with impact wrestling some of his content creation stuff that he's doing now with luke and friends and kind of everything in between a lot of really great conversation always a joy getting to chat with luke and i'm glad we were able to reconnect here on the show as it had been uh, like literally four years since the last time we spoke and we basically start from where we left off with Luke last time and go all the way up to what he's doing now again with Luke and friends so a lot of fun hope you guys enjoy that before we jump in I want to thank everybody for this point on last week's episode of the show in which I sat down with my buddy Matt Lane for a wonderfully fun and cathartic episode and I hope that everyone enjoyed that. And go check out Matt's new single, 27. It is awesome. And catch him playing literally all over Ontario over the next few weeks. Check him out, Matt Lane, on Facebook for all the information you will need about him. But with that out of the way, we're ready to roll into my near two-hour chat with my buddy, Luke Perron. Let's get into it. We got my old buddy, Luke Perron. Back here on The Hotter Show, first time in four years. A lot to catch up on. Luke, what's going on, buddy? It is good to talk to you. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it, four years, wow, I haven't really counted or thought about it like that. But uh, yeah, I've done uh, a ton since we last talked. And it's I think there's stuff I mentioned on our last campaign or our last um, uh, taping that were kind of upcoming projects and stuff I wanted to do that I have done since then. Um, and then I've kind of completely shifted, you know, focuses and, uh, so yeah, a, a ton of stuff to go through, but, uh, it's been quite the character evolution for myself and to see how much, uh, growth you've had with this, uh, production, this podcast. So yeah, I'm hyped to get into it. Yeah, man. I mean, first and foremost, like when we, I, I was kind of chuckling to myself because when, when I went back to look at the last conversation we had, we didn't spend as much time on the media side of things as I would have liked only because, that was something that like you were really just like, I think parent media had literally started up like a month beforehand. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'd I'd only recently started taking it seriously. And even the, even then too, uh, I didn't have much to show for it other than just saying what I wanted to do with it and some miscellaneous uh, photographs. But eventually that did, you know, span and take off and all that, which was awesome. So. Well, that's it. And looking at kind of in, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, first and foremost, Something that I thought was super cool that you were doing, I guess not super long ago, but in the last two years, it might as well have been 10 years ago, right? With how everything is gone, you really started pushing into the YouTube world a little more kind of right around that. Like you were always, like even looking back three years, you were doing stuff on YouTube, obviously, and you know, the video content and you were doing stuff with she shepherd as well which i think when we spoke 
you were getting ready to go and join the Sea Shepherd Yes, crew. yes. And I did two campaigns with Sea Shepherd since then, a, a one-monther in Nicaragua and then a three-monther in the Liberian uh, Ocean, well, the uh, the coast of Liberia. There's no ocean called the Liberian Ocean, but um, uh, in the ocean off the coast of Liberia, and that was for three months living on a boat, which was hectic, hectic. But uh, I, I mean, I can remember when we, I think I think I shot you a message, and I was like, like, so how's it going? Like, how's because like you had, I think it was you had like limited connectivity or something if I, if I can remember correctly and you in the Nicaragua like, campaign especially yeah. yeah luckily and with when I was working on the boat because I was media I was one of the few crew members who uh was allowed full-time internet access which I did uh, abuse a little bit to watch television and whatnot <laughs> on occasion but no one seemed to mind because they'd be like hey can I, can you download a show for me quickly and I was like sure <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like when you're out there doing that and you're you're in the thick of it so to speak it's like you need those comforts right <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But luckily when I was on the boat, we had like a hard drive with like something like four terabytes worth of like films on it and TV. So we always had something to watch, which was nice. So how was that whole experience being on the the Sea Shepherd crew? Um, It was, you know, every day I, I kind of wish I was there. Don't get me wrong. I love what I'm doing now. And they just emailed me last week and they offered me, Um, they said, in an extremely rare occurrence, they said, hey, we have four campaigns we want you on. You can pick whichever one you want to go on, and uh, it's up to you. And I was like, holy shit. Usually they just say, hey, here's our opening two weeks. Go. Um, but like, so yeah, the first campaign in Nicaragua was awesome. That was a turtle defense campaign, which was in the, for anyone who doesn't know, Sea Shepherd is a direct action conservation, which is instead of protesting or petitions or raising awareness, we actually get out there, boots on the ground, and actively interfere in illegal whaling, fishing, um, poaching, whatever it may be, your habitat destruction. So the first one was turtle poaching, which was in Nicaragua. And every night, uh, poachers look for turtle eggs, which they sell as a del- delicacy for uh, tourists who are unaware of how devastating it is to uh, the habitats or to the turtle population, which are going extinct. But um, that was quite literally a race against poachers to find these turtle eggs and then bring them to a guarded, supervised hatchery. And while I was out on that campaign, um, uh, a big thing that happened that I actually did a few podcasts about because everyone wanted to know about it after was uh, we were actually attacked by a turtle poacher um, at right. knife slash machete point, which was very uh, insane. And uh, that was pretty crazy because that was just six guys out there. Well, I should know it's not six guys. So it was actually more women than men, but um, six of us folks. And um, so that was, and we had no protection, no nothing. But then my second campaign in Liberia, that was just tremendous. So I was on the uh, Bob Barker, which is a very large vessel, and we worked directly with the Liberian Coast Guard to actively interfere in or actively intervene, sorry, in illegal fishing operations. So we would uh, basically find suspicious fishing vessels or anything that fit the sort of um, telltale points of this is not a legitimate operation, and we would investigate these boats. We had. Uh, because unlike Nicaragua, we're just sort of like ragtag band of activists. We actually were working hand in hand with the Liberian Coast Guard. Um, so we had the authority to board ships, conduct investigations and searches, supervise uh, the operations of these vessels. And I got some of the best photographs of my uh, career on that campaign just to be out on the ocean. So much beautiful wildlife and uh, really interesting people. You know, there are people on the boat from all over the world. You know, obviously you see a lot of like gruesome stuff on illegal fishing boats, but um, so that was kind of mentally a strain. Um, but uh, I you know I was I was awesome to be out there, and as hard as it was, just to be 
in the ocean with all these great people eating the best food I've ever had in my life. It, it was awesome. That's fantastic. Well, and I mean, I can remember you uploading, you know, photos and like some of the stuff you were taking, even just of like, just the scenery was mm -hmm. just so beautiful. Was there aside from, you know, like, like obviously you touched on some, some really fun kind of cool things that you were doing and obviously the important work that you were doing with Sea Shepherd. Was there any moments where you were just kind of like looking out into the water, just like, yo, this is like something that's just like a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, I have an exact one. I'll tell you. So when we were in Liberia, uh, for example, um, late, uh, it's like you, you don't really know like true darkness until you're in the middle of the ocean in the middle of night when it's because there's no buildings, no source of light. And we're in a state called a dark ship, which is where all windows are closed on our boat. Every operating light is off so that our boat can't be seen because we want to, you know, catch illegal operations in the act. Um, so it's pitch black on the boat and you step outside and you see like billions of stars and that's pretty incredible. But we found a target vessel to go investigate and we have, we deploy these, um, uh, little Zodiac boats, um, also in complete darkness, operating a massive crane to uh, put these boats into the water, then descend down the side of a ship into these boats. So that was pretty insane. But um, anyways, there's this, I believe it's like an algae or something that when it's stirred up in the water, it glows a greenish blue. So we're like speeding towards the target vessel and our uh, boat is kicking up all this uh, froth and wake but it's all glowing blue and i'm looking around me and we got flying fish jumping out and they're all surrounded by this glowing algae and i'm like holy wow. shit this is insane and another time was i don't know how the, our captain saw it but from the bridge again late at night pitch black he could see the outlines of dolphins jumping but they were all surrounded by that glowing water so like that is an insane sight to see basically glow in the dark dolphins under a billion stars and plus you know you you don't really see the true magnitude of stars until you're like out in the wilderness where there's no light pollution so imagine there's zero 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 light pollution it's like holy shit so from an astronomy level it was overwhelming from a, a nature level it was overwhelming from a a sense of objective it was overwhelming and purpose you're like oh i'm really doing it right now like i'm really living life especially you know coming from bowenville where you know, it's, it's a small town, but I mean, you know, there's always lights, there's always light pollution and mm -hmm. noise, like, and we're not even talking about like going like up north from us. It's like, we're talking literally real stars, real darkness. Like yeah. it would be just an incredible experience. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved every second of it. So that's awesome. So when you, once you got back from that, you really started to transition into doing kind of really pushing the media stuff forward a little bit more. What was kind of some of the stuff you were working on kind of after your uh, that second uh, trip there? Well, I think once I got back from Sea Shepherd, I had less of a um, – I wasn't focusing as much on the creative objectives. I was like, okay, I love doing that, but it's um, uh, – I need a way to financially sustain myself. So I did a right. lot of uh, – uh, uh, building my reel and messaging anyone I knew who ran a business or had a, a something to promote saying like, Hey, this is what I do. I'll shoot anything. I can make you look, you know, so good. I'll, any sort of promotional content you need. I did, um, a really, a piece I was proud of 
I was a 60 second TV spot for uh, a really great company called Immigration Terminal that just did uh, immigration work. And uh, that was awesome to do with them. And they actually never ended up airing the uh, commercial, unfortunately, um, just because they it was shot with a bunch of staff that then later didn't work there anymore. But by the time they wanted to air it and they ended up remodeling the office. And so now nothing in the video was current or up to date anymore. So never saw the light of day, unfortunately. But um, then I did a lot of, uh, you know, mainly building my reel with uh, animal activism stuff. But when I was in um, Liberia, I was getting... Uh, I was watching wrestling when I was on the boat and I was thinking to myself how much I sort of missed acting because I used to do a lot of acting for community theater and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, man, I really miss acting, but I do not want to do it again because I hate the rehearsal times and I hate driving to Toronto for a literally 45 second audition. Um, and I hate, I hated all the sort of um, practicalities that came along with acting, but I still wanted to do it. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll train as a wrestler when I get home because I know we have a great wrestling gym in Toronto called Battle Arts, uh, run by Anthony Corelli, the former Santino Morella. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll give that a go because I was, when I, every time I go to Sea Shepherd campaign too, I'm in the best shape of my life. I lose like a good amount of weight and I get really good into shape because I'm, it's always fully vegan meals and I'm fully vegan anyway, but I eat like shit when I'm at home. Like a lot of microwave meals and a lot of like Oreos or like dairy free ice cream or pita bread and hummus sort of thing. But two professional chefs cooking you meals with whole foods and proper like fruit, vegetable, grains, and like they who know what they're doing cooking these awesome meals. The pro the portions were always giant on, at Sea Shepherd campaigns, but the food itself was so healthy and like awesome and filling. So I would always be at like a really nice healthy weight. And I thought, how can I maintain this when I get home? Because every time I come back from a Sea Shepherd campaign, I gain like 15 pounds. Eating um, like vegan microwave burritos and like yeah, whatever, and that's the you thing. know? I get home and I'm like, yo, I haven't had pizza pizza in like a month and a half. Right, like, full thing of hummus. So, like just <laughs> yeah, you kind of having food like right there all the time. It's like a nonstop eating fest for me a lot of the time. So I was like, how can I stay in shape? So I um, started training and wrestling as well. And then through that, I was like, you know, I would love to photograph wrestling and do entrance videos and hype packages and promo pics and then i did that and i started training as a wrestler and then covid hit so then i was right. like okay well, i'd only shot two wrestling shows at the time both unpaid one for peterborough wrestling which ran one show before the pandemic happened and then one for battle arts and i was like well i can't shoot wrestling anymore so then i transitioned to doing youtube full-time which is a whole other story we can get into but um, yeah, so when I got back from Sea Shepherd, it was mainly just building my reel and shooting as much as I could for, you know, any sort of jobs. Um, and yeah, I had a great time with it. And uh, I, I loved kind of just taking on anything because I was like, oh, I, I've never shot something like this before. This will be interesting. And then I would learn all these new skills, which I could then carry with me later. So. Right. And that's and that's what's fun sometimes about just kind of putting your opening yourself up to new challenges and stuff. It's like, Oh, I've never done that. Let's try it out. And it's so fun. Cause I remember when I was randomly scrolling through social media one day, just doing my thing and, and your name popped up and I was like, Oh, like what's, what's Luke up to today. And, and I saw a picture of you posing in this outfit. And I was like, what is he doing like a photo? Like what's, what's is a photo shoot or what's going on? And then like, I saw another picture and it was you like in the ring. And I went, hold the phone. <laughs> yeah. What? Like, so I, I wasn't really aware of what you were doing and being a, a big wrestling fan. I immediately got super excited and was like, 
holy cow like i think i, I think i saw like nav comment on something or whatever too yeah. and i was like what like you're doing wrestling so i'm like what's so like walk me through the the training in that a little bit like was that was it what you expected because obviously for you being a I think of you more of like a theater actor mm-hmm. type just because of how your performances are and everything. Yeah. Was it as fun as you thought it was going to be when you started? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, um the only few like negatives might've came just um with um the people that I haven't been training with at the time and um, all lovely people, but just um, so I, I wanted to be a wrestler um. And I watched at, at that time. I watched basically everything. I watched New Japan, AW, WWE, every indie show I could. Occasionally, I'd watch like AAA or CMLL, but very rarely with those two. But I, I tried to consume as much wrestling as I could logically fit in my schedule. But um, I found some of the people there training um, seemed like they almost were more concerned with being famous than they were with being wrestlers. Um, and I remember I once said to a guy. I was like, oh, you haven't checked out any AEW, have you? And he's like, and he said, no, why would I watch AEW when WWE exists? And I was like, um, well, because if you want to be a professional chef, you shouldn't eat just at McDonald's. You know, that's just my opinion. Right. So, or it's like, if you, you want to be a professional carpenter and you're like, oh, but I'll only, I've only ever trained in one type of wood. It's like, okay, but what if someone comes with mahogany one day and you only need like, you know, you've only ever done stained oak, like, you know, you There's want to so take many in everything. Yeah, you can always learn stuff from other people who are doing it, even if you're, oh, I'm a WWE guy. But did you see that match on AEW the other night? That was really good. Yeah, and it's totally fine if WWE is your favorite or AEW, because you know, no, it's no secret, AEW is my favorite promotion. It's the one I watch the most. But the, the outright refusal to be like, why would I watch any other wrestling? It's like, well, because aren't you studying this art form? Right. So there were a few like comments like that from people I heard, and I was like, this is puzzling. Like that was, but um, right. at the end of the day, it is an art form. You know, there's yeah. so much of an art that goes into professional wrestling, the sports side of things where it's the athleticism. And then also the, there are times where you're, you're full on acting. You you are a character. Like you can't yeah. get that from just one type of wrestling, you know? And I think though, too, this, this could be it too. Um, Anthony Corelli makes no secrets about this. Um, when he when he trains you battle arts, he's training you to go to an NXT tryout and excel at that and get hired at WWE. Um, and you because know, that's obviously where he was working for you know the majority of his popular career. So and plus you know he works with WWE in some capacity, and so he knows if you go to. And plus, also he knows that most people, the average person watches wwe primarily um and it's not realistic to expect everyone to be super well versed in every you know offshoot of wrestling and every promotion but um so anthony knows that if you're training to be a wrestler most of your dreams are to main event wrestlemania so he's training you that wwe style how do i shouldn't actually say that no because he is anthony's a like a judo pro and he very much will train you shoot style like judo wrestling grappling and all that but he um a lot of the people there, their dream is to be a WWE wrestler. So he'll uh, really craft you and shape you to excel at that NXT tryout. But I think some kids get too caught up in that, that when it comes time to look for getting work on the indie shows, it's like they almost are thinking only about their, their NXT tryout. And I'm like, so and now that does make sense though, because WWE, 
doesn't hire out of the indies anymore. They hire out of their tryouts or from athletes from like colleges. It was a big kind of controversy at W. So we're not actually hiring ready-made indie wrestlers anymore. We're picking people who are athletic and have good look and good persona and train people them they to can wrestle. train from the ground up. Yeah, but right. I I think um so just some some of the the mentality when I was training, a lot of those people had a very different um uh angle or passion for a certain side of the industry than me because i was so passionate about the indies i was expecting to go in there and train and we were all like let's get indie bookings let's wrestle every weekend but some people were just like dead set on their nxt tryout and i thought that was unrealistic at the time but now that i see that wwe goes no we don't care if you're an indie pro or not if you do go to the tryout we'll hire you and craft you into what we want it does make sense to me now but um anyway but i did meet um so the second episode of Luke and Friends will be out by the time this releases, I think. Um, so the next guest on the show is Tempest, who is my—he was my first opponent and my only opponent, and he's also a very popular uh, journalist and video personality at Wrestle Talk and Parts Fun Known. Me and him instantly clicked because when we started training there, I was trying to find people to talk to New Japan about because the G1 Climax was going on at the time, which is New Japan's big tournament. And I was like, did anyone watch G1 Climax last night? And everyone was like, no, what's that? Or like, not everyone, but a lot of people were like, G1, what now? And I'm like, how does no one know this? And one guy, Tempest, was like, oh, yeah, I saw the G1 Climax last night. What did it? And I, me and him instantly clicked. So we became great friends. So I think, you know, a lot the people that really helped me out there were a guy named Sway Archer who's coming on the show. He's a gear maker and professional wrestler. He makes gear for NXT, AEW, WWE, Impact. He's a really talented guy. And then um, Ariana Grace, who currently is wrestling for NXT. And also she's the daughter of Anthony Corelli, Santina Morella. She was always really helping me out. And um, so I did have a kind of a close, a smaller circle when I was training. But you know, everyone there was so awesome, super passionate. But um, was it as fun as I was expecting? Yeah, absolutely. It's every time I went, like I, I would get home. I'd be like, oh, that was so awesome. And just you go in the ring. And it's, it really is kind of everything you, you dream about the training at least for me i know a lot of people have have had negative experiences in indie wrestling more like in the actual world of it like once you start working in it there is some kind of you know negatives and like a, a darker side that people talk about often but um the training itself where i was was awesome everyone was having a great time super friendly and um it's just fun to go in the ring and throw down and uh, practice you know taking that first bump how was that was was it was it what you thought it was going to be? It, it wasn't it as bad as I thought, but I think it's because I'm, I'm a pretty brave guy. Like I'll do anything. Um, and so, but what did shock me is the day after the first bump, you wake up and you're like, right. okay, why does it hurt 10 times worse now than it did yesterday? So when also here's a fun little fact for anyone thinking about training and wrestling your back will just hurt constantly from the day you start training until you retire. Your back will just hurt always, always. And it's normal. Um, and I remember when COVID happened and I stopped training after my two and a half months or whatever I had of training after about a week, I was like, man, I feel great. And I felt great ever since. And then I went back to one training session when the gym's open for like a week, just for fun. And I was like, Oh yeah, there it is. So yeah, but the, the chops. Okay, I don't know if you know who Karu is. He's an indie wrestler around here. Giant, giant Kurdish man. Took a chop from him in my first training match. That shit fucking kills. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's no. I don't think it's as bad. 
honestly, I think the worst of it is running the ropes because a lot of people think they're going to be these spongy, springy things. Yeah, they're either want. real rope or fucking cable, steel cable. <laughs> yeah. So, and you have to like slam into them to really get that ricochet back forward. Or else that's why you see a lot with um, wrestlers who are really, really lightweight. Like I always notice, like when Alexa Bliss, for example, when she hits the ropes, often she doesn't get that super that kind of spring back she almost has to kind of manually push herself forward whereas if you're a really heavy guy and you slam into those ropes it does spring you back like kind of immediately but you gotta hit those things as if you're you know if you're trying to attack them but that hurts because you got these three steel cables going boom and pulling into your back so that that is probably the worst of it for me that's something that uh, a good friend of mine who uh, again, pre-COVID and everything, did some yeah. training. Um, he, he's, I remember like after his first class, I was talking to him. I said, what? Like, okay, it was fun. It was great. It's your dream. Awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. What hurt the most? What sucked the most that surprised you? And he was like, honestly, it was hitting the ropes. Yeah. And that's what his trainer said. He was like, this is the part that you're going to, you're going to assume it doesn't hurt and it hurts. Like, he's like, eventually you know, your back builds up that callus, but that's after doing it for years, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it's like, mm-hmm. he said, man, you never get used to that feeling like it, you know, when you're in the ring, obviously it's different, but he's like, when you're running those ropes for the first time, it's like, oh, geez, like, <laughs> this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And they're actually not springy. Like if you, when people look at it, that's actually not them having give it's you slamming into them really hard and pulling them back it's not like they spring back it's like you're pulling them back and it's yeah it sucks (laughs) (laughs) the the the, i mean that's something we could probably talk about all night kind of the the behind the scenes stuff of the the art form of professional wrestling um but what was so fun was so when you did your first match first off walk us through that whole process where was it you know again talk about your opponent and that like because I can just imagine, again, knowing what a big fan you are. How was that for you? Yeah. Um, dude, it was awesome. So uh, we were supposed to, me and Tempest, we're going to, because we we had uh, this, that same shared passion for Japanese wrestling, uh, we wanted to be a tag team really bad. And we had our whole tag team persona ready. We had our names picked out. We had our entrance music picked out. And then um, we were going to, we knew like, Okay, basically, so Battle Arts has, for anyone listening to this who's like a wrestler thinking, this guy had a match after two months. It was a student showcase, okay? So it's not a real, I mean, we we are still charging for tickets, but um, it's just like a family and friends invite thing. They're not advertising this like, you know, come see this crazy wrestling show. It's like they say student showcase on the poster because we're students. So you can be in the student showcase even if you've had like a week of training just as like a run-in spot or something. Everyone can be on the show. It's a student thing, you know, so don't take it too seriously. But um, so we had like maybe 10 moves between us, me and Tempest. and Or no, 10 moves each, 10 moves each. So two um, guys uh, who were like, who had like four years of training, they were going to lead us through this tag match. They were going to squash us. We were going to have this baby face victory. They were going to cheat or whatever. And um. So it's like an hour before the show and they still haven't pulled up yet. And me and Tempest are like, these guys haven't arrived yet. Where are they? Like, we start going through our match, right? Then it's like 45 minutes, still not there. 30 minutes till curtain. And we're like, okay, Anthony, if these guys don't show up, like, should we have a backup plan in place? And Anthony's like, 
how many moves do you guys know? And we were like, we gave him the list. I was like, we can do this, 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 and this. And he's like, okay, start planning now. Have a singles match, five minutes. And I was like, okay. So we planned this match. We did every single last move we could think of. It took us to fill five minutes. We like even like small variations on moves, like little things. And we were like, okay. But luckily we had because we watched a lot of Japanese wrestling, there's little spots that you see in a lot of Japanese wrestling that aren't combat based that can get pops out of the crowd that can sort of, that they just don't do in WWE. WWE is very, um, walk you to the post, do this spot, walk you here, do this spot. But, um, so we did a lot of back and forth where I've not actual combat. Like we look at each other, we would square up and then we go like, back off and the crowd would be right. like oh <laughs> crowd almost like crowd work right like you're doing yeah this or the crowd. tempest yeah. would go he'd like shove me into the ropes he'd go to chop me and he'd give me a little tap on the chest you see that a ton in aw now yeah. because a lot of those guys come from japan so but um so we would do a lot of stuff like that and we did a lot of like just scrapping looking for like um looking for a hold or stuff like that so it was luckily tempest had a mask on too so it was really easy for us to, if we forgot for him to call the match from within the mask and you wouldn't be able to see, except there's a great moment where, um, um, I injure his leg by giving this little, like, I forget the name of the move, but you know, I pull it against the, the rope and, um, it's supposed to be this big leg injury, but, uh, we forgot about it and it's, he stopped selling it. And then a guy from the crowd called out, isn't this guy's leg supposed oh, to be hurt? And then no. immediately we fell back into it. And we are like, oh, damn, true, true. But um, luckily, Tempest You're was so awesome. supposed to be selling the leg, bro. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a student showcase. So we were like, oh, true. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, so anyways, because I have that theater background, I can cut like a really decent promo because I have that theater background and a lot of people, it's the other way around. They're good athletes, good wrestlers, and they suck at acting and they really have to study uh, scripts and promo art form. For me, I've been monologuing since, you know, ninth grade. So I remember in class, we were doing monologues uh, or promos and Anthony gave us all this promo. A lot of people had to read off the script and stuff like that. But just because I have that, like I had like six years of acting experience at the time, I could do a like once over on the script and have it. So I like got up and didn't. Anthony was like, okay, you should be like a manager or something. Cause like that was, you just know script work really well. Um, so Tempest was like, okay, well it makes sense for you to win. So you can cut this promo after and offer us up to be a tag team. So I won the match with a swanton. And then while he was writhing around on the ground, I put him into this, you know, like front face lock thing. Uh, then I won. And then I cut this promo saying, um, man, I felt like you had me scouted and like you really knew my every move and we were really uh, in sync with each other. You know, I think there's a lot of tag teams around here, but not a lot of challengers. Let's team up, right? And um, so that was a big promo. And then we were, we teamed up, we shook hands and then COVID happened and then we never wrestled ever again. So, Oh, man. So something, there's a couple things I want to touch on there for what you said, but one thing I couldn't help but, uh, but chuckle when it was like we the variations of the 10 moves we know yeah and you know my dumbass is sitting here going arm bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> cross arm bar reverse arm bar but the thing is we could name probably a thousand moves but it's weird because you look at a wrestling move and you go oh he does this he does that when you go to physically apply it to someone you're like wait your arm's not moving this way what is How? This? yeah yeah so that like <laughs> 
it's really crazy because like you can look at a move a thousand times you go to do it and you're like oh i thought i'd be able to move a lot easier this way or even something as simple as a hip toss you know someone runs up to you you link arms you toss them over took me like like 12 tries i remember to get a hip toss everyone else was getting it on the first like first or second try but my arm just wouldn't link up with my opponent in training and me and tempest would always be training partners too so i remember i'd like run up to him and our arms would just bump into each other and just go like that instead of linking up so it's these little things that you think are going to be like you look at you like oh of course i could do that and then you go to do it and you're like oh i'm not actually falling into this properly or like um, Anthony was teaching us this move, like it was, he called it a twister, where you know you uh, lag lock someone with your legs while putting them in a front face lock, and you kind of twist their torso. Trying to actually get both your legs where they're supposed to be for your arm to be able to reach around and it look proper, it takes a lot of finicking around. So that's why, and you don't want to do a match where you think you know the move good enough. You have to only do the moves you know you can do perfectly and safely. So. Yeah, and that's why you hear a lot of times a lot of like veterans will be like, don't say you know how to take my finisher unless you actually know how. Because think of it, the pros too, they don't rehearse the match physically in ring. They get in the ring and they talk it through. They go, okay, we're going to do this, motion through that. They don't actually like rehearse it as like the way you would rehearse like a dance recital or something. They just talk it through and know it because they know how to do the moves, right? You don't need to, you already know how to do the move. So but sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, I know how to take your finisher. But because finishers are kind of customized moves, you can't train for them the way you can train for other standardized moves. Like, you know, you know, you can train uh, Canadian Destroyer because that's a, the same move. But if someone has a variation on it, you can't train for that because that's a personalized thing. So don't say, oh, I know how to take your finisher unless you actually do. Yeah, you can't just like walk up and be like, "Oh yeah, man, I just tucked my chin, I got it." Like it's like yeah, because uh, then like, it looks you know. really bad. It makes you look bad. It makes the veteran look bad. It just so you have to be a thousand percent sure you can do every move safely. So we only had ten moves. We were a thousand percent sure we could do perfectly safe, <laughs> and seven of them were arm bars. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome though. Like it, it's something that uh, I have so much respect for anybody who gets in there and does it because I have such a respect for the art form of professional wrestling and so now i gotta ask obviously the big c happened and the world changed and all that now any uh any, any desire to get back in there maybe at, at some point or uh the voros twins asked me that the other day and then i was talking to von vertigo and then he asked me the other day um probably not no unless i lived really close to a school because uh, i work nine to five i love the work i do and then I do a lot of personal projects and there's only so many hours in a day and I don't like wrestling enough where I'm, I don't like being in the ring enough right. where I, I'm going to sacrifice. Like it's like a five hour ordeal. Cause it's like an hour to get there. Then you train for two and a half hours and an hour back. And then, you know, 30 minutes, give or take getting ready for, you know, class or getting ready for your driver, all that. Um, and then plus, I don't think there's, I, if I did it, I probably wouldn't do it to get bookings. I would just do it recreationally to stay in shape, to have fun in training because I'll give you an example. A lot of guys this weekend just did Ottawa. Then they did a show in Barrie. Like they did Ottawa Friday, Barrie Saturday, Toronto Sunday. I would not want to be doing that drive. I just don't love it enough to do that. Um, and like even if I was getting paid for it, I'd be like, 
no, I'd just rather stay home and read or write something or edit a video that I'm working on. So yeah, if I did get back into it, it would probably just be for general fitness and just for the fun of it all. But it's probably not going to be for a bit unless I move to Toronto or something, which I have no desire to live in a big city. So, but some wrestling schools are out in the country, which is really nice. Like Josh Alexander's school, Canadian strong style, which is closed now, I think, but that used to be, I think kind of out in the countryside, but um, yeah, probably a no for now. Right on. Well, I mean, it's something at least you can always say, Hey, you know, I did do it. <laughs> yeah. And I have like a billion connections in wrestling now. So if I ever want to get back into the ring, I, I know, you know, a bunch of people I would say, Hey, yeah, come on down for a class or, you know, you know where I think I would go actually. I think I would go to, do you know, rip impact a local guy? He's got a school that he runs out of a little garage. It's just him no big staff. It's not some state of the art facility like battle arts. It's literally just rip impact with a ring in his garage and some buddies. I would like maybe a more informal thing like that. I think it'd be fun for me because at battle arts, you got so many people training there because it's a state of the art facility. Um, so a lot of it's like waiting in line to do your move and then, so where something like rip impact, I could just say, you know, I'd like to learn something like this today. And I think that could just be really fun. Get in there, work some stuff out, you know, yeah. just doing it for the, again, for the love of the art form of it. Right. Yeah. So, and he's at Hamilton pro wrestling is his school. Right on. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, again, it's something that I think is so cool that you did that even once. Now, yeah. um, I got to ask. So what, uh, first off, what was, what was your, for those who don't know, what was your name and what was your gimmick before we move on here? So the character was called Max Jaeger and I was, I think I, I don't know why I went with Max. I just, it sounds kind of youthful and like, um, almost like when you think of guys like, I don't know, like cartoon good guys, like Ben 10 or something, or like, it's one of those names where it's like Cody or like something kind of edgy like that. Like Max, it just sounds like kind of hip and young and youthful. And I want like, I, I really liked Will Ospreay's style and I, I worship Kota Ibushi. He's my favorite wrestler by a country mile. Um, and I liked how Kota Ibushi and Will Ospreay at the time, their gimmicks were And a lot of people told me this won't work on the Indies because in the Indies, you need to be like instantly recognizable. Right. And I think that is good advice, but um, you know, if you look at guys like, like, a lot of guys have really instantly identifiable gimmicks like Effie or Danhausen or Dalton Castle or even Sway Archer. Like a lot of guys have gimmicks. You're like, oh, I can describe them real quick. Like I know exactly their vibe. But I liked how Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi and even like Sho and Yo from New Japan, their gimmicks were just like dashing young men who were passionate and they just loved to please the crowd and wanted to put a smile on your face. And they were they were almost like good guy comic book heroes. And I really like that. So, and Jagger just came from Attack on Titan. I think it sounds kind of like, just the name too sounds kind of cruiserweight-ish. Max Jagger, that doesn't sound like like Walter. That's a very big evil guy name, right? Um, or even his new gimmick change, Gunther. Or, yeah, so <laughs> you've got like names like Butch or Big Cass or like names that really fit the character Vader where I was like Max Jagger you hear that and you just think of like almost like an anime protagonist or something like that um, so I just wanted to do something like that and I wore these bright pink camo pants which were inspired by Hana Kimura I think her the the group she was in I think was called the Tokyo Cyber Squad and she wore these I didn't want my pants to be camo but I couldn't get custom gear done in time 
But I thought I saw the Tokyo Cyber Squad Hanukkah Merg here, and I was like, okay, that's cool. I think pink camo could work. And then I wore this pink flower kimono coming into the ring, and I had short hair that was kind of wavy on the top. And I thought that was really cool. And so, yeah, just kind of a this young anime protagonist who's kind of boyish. I didn't want him to be because I think, uh, but I think if I ever were to wrestle again, I would really turn the theatrics like a thousand degrees more because people said to me like, dude, you can sing, you can dance, you can act, put it in a gimmick. And so I think, uh, it'd probably be something Stephen King inspired. A lot of guys do like the preacher gimmick, like, um, Bray Wyatt did it. And, um, Isaiah Bronson from battle arts, he's got this sort of, uh, Bible belt preacher esque tone of voice thing. I could be really good at that because I played the reverend in Footloose one time in high school. And I've always thought in another life, if I was born mega religious, I could have been one of the most like famous pastors ever just because I can, when I played that that role in Footloose, I was like, I can just go off and be like, ah, this and that and, you know, and really rile up people. And when I did my promo, my promo was just, I'm a good guy. I've got the spirit. And I was like, you know, it works, but I think I would just combine 12 Stephen King characters and put them into a gimmick. It would be my next big thing. Or I always thought too, if Tai Chi from New Japan already didn't do it, I would do a Phantom of the Opera gimmick. That'd be, you, you'd kill it at that too. <laughs> I can <laughs> totally see you doing that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm happy you even got to experience that and got some training in and, you know, cause it mm-hmm. definitely, I think probably helped you with, what you're doing now uh yeah but before we we get into that so from the wrestling you then transitioned into doing the youtube stuff full-time and i mean you did some really cool things it basically even like just like a year ago you really started to to kind of go go nuts with the you were doing you know like reactions to tv that shows schedule was doing, crazy yeah, was you were on. going crazy and you did something that i it just when I saw it, it boggled my mind. You did a full read through of Stephen King's 1408. <laughs> and I mean, like, why would you do that? Like, obviously it's fun. And I say that tongue in cheek, but like, yeah, the amount of work that must have went into that one video, like, geez. yeah, it was a lot. And I'll tell you what, for the longest time, it really pissed me off that I did do it because it got no views for the longest time but let me pull it up now but i remember shooting it and for months after i was like what a waste of my time no one cares no one watched this you know this video is doing nothing and i put so much time and effort into it and it really did kind of grind my gears because i was like that's that was like an ungodly amount of preparation that i'll never get back and then one day I just looked and it got a thousand views overnight. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That video has gone up to, um, let's take a look here. 23,000 views. And that to this day is my second highest earning video. And I was like, holy shit, maybe it was worth it. So I, I'm just so glad that that paid off. So if we look at my top videos in the last 28 days, my number one video is how to get audible audiobooks for free, which is, I'm glad it's a top earning video because I think, you know, a lot of people want to get into audiobooks, but audible is like quite expensive. So, but then my second most viewed video in the last 28 days is the 1408 full read through. So those two are, are always going to stay on top. 
And those still average about 3,000 views a, a month. And then immediately after that, everything else gets like 300 views a month. So yeah, I just did that because I was like, 14 weight is so awesome. I want to get into reading audiobooks, And I think it's one of the most accessible Stephen King stories because a lot of his books aren't super scary. I think he's actually quite a weak uh, horror author, but he's an incredibly strong character and story and um, plot author. But 1408 is one of the few books he's that really is like, this is actually quite scary. So I thought it'd be a great book that would be accessible to people. So that's why I picked that one. I just went for it and I was like, and I'm pretty sure it is illegal. You know, I, I have no license to uh, be giving out a, an <laughs> well, unlicensed audiobook recording. Like I was like, that's gotta be like, you know, it's definitely illegal, but um, you know, it's up there. And I think um, <laughs> if, if I ever do, if they ever do track me down and try to, you know, I don't know. I think they would, I know a lot of people that have done, Stephen King projects unlicensed and the worst that happens they just get a cease and desist so if, if I'm asked to take it down I will but um this is basically incriminating evidence me saying that I, I'm aware that it's not legal but um I, I don't know it's not the end of the world you go to a library you can get the audiobook for free so it's like you know I'm just trying to help people out here exactly and I mean you know it's been up for a year at this point like Mm-hmm. Is anything going to happen to it? Probably but like not. I, I know a guy <laughs> that is doing a Dark Tower audio drama. And for those who don't know, Dark Tower is Stephen King's massive fantasy epic. And he was getting a lot of publicity on it. And he had a full cast for this thing. And I was like, dude, you're, you're getting almost too much publicity. This is going to get canceled. Lo and behold, he got an email from the Stephen King offices. And they were like, you have to stop. Like, And they said, they said the reason you have to stop is because Dark Tower is something that's actively in development and studios have rights to and stuff like that. And if it was some property, like let's say Needful Things, like a really obscure Stephen King book that's not in production right now, no remakes are getting made, no companies own the rights to a screenplay of it or anything like that. So I don't think they would care, but Amazon currently owns the rights to Dark Tower, even though they canceled the first. So they were going to do a TV show and it got canceled, but they still own the rights to it. Um, and I am praying that Netflix buys the rights and they do a dark tower TV show by, um, the guy who did haunting of Hill house. And, um, uh, Dude, that would be- what's that new series? He just did midnight mass, which yeah. is like, so that guy's a massive Stephen King fan and people call midnight mass, the greatest Stephen King movie ever written. That's not based on a Stephen King book <laughs> because it's like, so it feels so flawless like Stephen King. And if you watch his work, there's Dark Tower references and everything he makes. Um, so I would love for him to do that. But anyway, so yeah, a lot of Stephen King projects happen that are unlicensed that do get taken down. But I, this wasn't like some big thing. It's just me reading. So I don't think anyone's going to care. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like when you're doing a project like that, like the second you start saying that, I was like, ooh, like I could see why that would be, you know, that's a little different than just, Oh, it's me on my YouTube reading this. Like, you know, like, yeah, there's a big difference. But um, th- I mean, that's cool, though, that they were going to do that because that's such a, a cool world and a cool story. And I know that you're a big uh, you have your massive collection of Stephen King books and that. And so it was cool to see yeah. you, you know, get into that. Because like, I, I know that, you know, from us talking before, you wanted to get into the reading audiobooks and stuff like that. And I know mm-hmm. you've done some writing as well. Yeah. Um, so that was cool to see you do that. And I mean, I thought you did a, an amazing, amazing job on that. Thank you. Thank you. I wish I had a better mic at the time though, because there's a lot of plosive popping going on in that video in the first half, especially. 
Um, so I might re-record with something more, um, I don't know. Someone asked me the other day to read uh, Stephen King's Survivor Type, which is a first-person short story. I think that could be really cool. And for anyone who doesn't know, that Survivor Type cool. is a man who gets stranded on an island completely alone with no supplies while transporting drugs. And he has to survive piece by piece by eating small quantities of himself. Jesus. Yeah, that's uh, that would be really interesting to hear you and you could do, do some that. fun voice acting with it too i think because it's right. written first person like from his perspective so like, oh god i gotta eat my like it's just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and something else like obviously you know we can sit here all night and talk about the uh, the reviews and things of that nature but like doing the review content and things of that nature like you know you really had some great videos like you i remember one i saw where you were talking about the Mandalorian bad CGI and like Dude, stuff I got like so much that. backlash for that video too. Oh, I can only People imagine. fucking hated me for it. They were like, this guy's like a Disney worshiper and like you're actually so in denial. And I do watch the episode back at times and I do think it I, – I just think mm, long story short, I think – and I did play it up a bit to get – um cause YouTube videos should be entertaining and I did play it up a bit because I was like – if I give this calm calculated, like, well, I actually didn't think it was that bad. It's like, okay, why do we care? But I was like, if I make it more of a rant style video, it could be more entertaining. But I was like, okay, this is actually not good for my channel analytics to get like a thousand thumbs downs. But apparently it actually is good for your analytics to get a thousand thumb down. YouTube doesn't actually care about the thumb up or down. They just care about the interaction itself. So I was like, so I ended up privating that video because I was like, you know what? I just, all these hate comments, all this dislikes, it can't be good for my channel. But it turned out it was good for my channel. So yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes it's almost like bad. It's it's like the old saying with publicity, right? There's no such thing as bad yeah, publicity. exactly, like. <laughs> exactly. And that that's incredibly true in the content sphere. But if, if you care about being a good person, which a lot of creators don't, um, <laughs> if you care yes. about being a good person, there is such thing as bad publicity because, you know, I remember, you know, uh, iDubs, if you know, you know, he's yeah. a very controversial YouTuber because he used to make really edgy content. He would say these horribly offensive things. And recently he went on the, now he makes like two videos a year and they're just like documentaries about other content creators and he just did this creator clash this youtuber boxing event which was really successful and really awesome but he went on the h3 podcast and he ethan said you've really toned down your whole persona and the stuff you say and ian was and idubs was like yeah i think it was just i even though i was in my mid-20s at the time you just grow up and you realize like people have an opinion of you outside of your videos and it's easy to say oh fuck them it doesn't matter and be as edgy as you want but you realize you get in the real world that's really not how it works. And people, you interact with people on the day to day, try to make things as pleasant as you can. And I was like, that's so true, man. Cause I you know you can, of course you, and when people say, oh, you can't say that you shouldn't say that. It's like, I get that it's bad to say this, but people can make their own choices. If they want to be egregiously offensive, they have that right. But people are equally entitled to be like, oh, then you're just a fucking loser. So I think that's even though, so I just made a good point where he's like, you know, I just grew up and I was like, you know what? Being this stupid, crazy, controversial edge lord, like, so it's so childish. And at this point, I want people to that interact with me day to day, not to think I'm this horrible monster. So I just gave it up and I was like, it's so true. So yeah, I try to um, have a decent persona. And like, so that rant video, I was like, I don't want people thinking I'm some sort of like crazy, like fanboy here defending Disney to my death. But um, 
And bought, I didn't even say anything controversial or anything like that. I just said I thought the CGI was like decent. <laughs> That's all I said. Yeah, people I, got so I, up in I arms remember, about it. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad either. I was like, I thought it was all right. Like, oh, so, oh, yeah. like, I remember seeing the videos of like, oh, well, I can do better CGI and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool, right on. Like, that's great. But like, yeah, like just who? Like, okay, cool. Let's just move on with life. Let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy yeah, what a and cool that video was so was. off brand, but so oh, I remember why I got in this bad bad publicity versus good publicity. Yeah, so there there is bad publicity if you have a modicum of like self respect, <laughs> which a lot of content creators don't. But they want that money, so you know, go off. I guess that's uh, get your bag, as they say. Oh yeah, everyone's different, right? And I mean, even I've I've had some people say to me in the past, like, you know, you don't really ask edgy questions to people, like if there's you have a, someone who's in a band on and someone just left the band in a really kind of, mm-hmm. oh, there's some dirt there. And I'm like, cause I don't want to talk about that. Like what? Like, there's so many articles about that online probably anyway. It's like, I'm sure people would be pleasantly refreshed if you were like, just having a normal conversation, like, oh, a new, new information about this person, not just the same thing. And even the Voros twins, they said, um, they told me that they were really, uh, appreciative and grateful that all so much of the interview was about wrestling and not just the davinci tiktok because mm-hmm. and that's what i wanted to do i was like i did so much research on them and i was like okay we know every possible thing about this davinci tiktok we know where it came from what the reaction was how they've adjusted to the fame i was like i am not asking them any of this so for the rest of the interview i was i asked them like two questions about their tiktok and then i was like okay let's talk about wrestling let's talk about your favorite movies let's talk about you know your favorite books and fun little questions for you and i think people you know appreciate the more laid back casual get to know you style interview because they're so rare because they they get less clicks because i'm sure if i said something really um scandalous like davinci twins admit they're actually smart and not playing stupid characters then you get a thousand clicks but you know i don't want to misrepresent them like that or anything like that and and plus if people are taking the time to be on your show Unless they are someone who's like known for being controversial. Like let's say you had like Ben Shapiro on, right? That's a guy that it wouldn't be out of line for you to kind of grill him because that's 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 the brand, right? Like he right. says upset things about that something. are yeah, yeah. Yeah. The brand is he says controversial things and is a political commentator. But if you had, you know, me on and you were like, I brought up this uh, 2016 comment of yours where you said this in a YouTube video, I'd be like, oh, uh, I thought you wanted to know about my my job at impact and my YouTube videos. Like, right. and, you know, you, when people give you their time, you should be uh, respectful of that. I think. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that's something that I've always felt strongly about where it's just like, you know, Oh, Hey, well, if you, if you're talking with someone and m- maybe the comment gets picked up and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, but then you're known as that, the person who asked that question. And you know, it's yeah. like, there's, don't get me wrong. Like there's, I think there's it's an it's important sometimes to do things that you're maybe not comfortable with to push your to push yourself but like if again like you said if someone's coming on and they're giving you their time like regardless of who they are and yeah. you're sitting there and you're asking them things or talking about things maybe they're not super comfortable with it's like man like do we have to talk about this like obviously there's yeah. some stuff you got to ask about and talk about mm-hmm. but it's just like hey why can't we just talk about like Something fun. Why do we got to talk about this thing I've already discussed? Or mm-hmm. why do we got to talk about a comment I made? Like, it's just like, man, like there's so much negativity in the world as it is. Let's just have yeah. fun. You and, know? and on the note too, of like self-respect as like a, a creator and like an artist, I really held off on doing 
reaction videos for a long time because I did wrongly at the time think reaction videos were some sort of like lesser form of content and they had nothing to offer. But then I discovered two specific channels, uh, Brandon Likes Movies and I think uh, Shan Reacts is the other one or the guy's name is Shan and he reacts and they were giving really insightful, entertaining reactions, not just going, oh shit, that's crazy. And I was like, you know, maybe reaction videos aren't all that bad. And I'll be honest, I did do them for the money at first because I was like, my book reviews aren't bringing a ton of money. Maybe I can build up an audience with these reaction videos who will discover my book content later and I can build an audience for both. But I love watching TV. I love watching movies. Why not make some money off it? So I was like, you know, Band of Brothers, that is a show that I've been recommended since the dawn of time. I'll check it out and I'll give my play-by-play on it because my brother loved Band of Brothers and he was away at university and he couldn't watch it with me. I was like, it would be fun for my brother to be able to watch these too. So I started with that and by my third reaction video, the channel was already starting to blow up because reaction videos are so accessible, right? It's anyone can watch them who's seen the show. You click them, you're having a good time. It's almost like you're watching the show for the first time. Whereas a book review, if someone watches it, they have to have either read the book or have an interest in reading such a specific niche book. And there's not a lot of longevity to a book review. It's like, oh, was it good? Was it bad? Okay, awesome. But um, so with these reaction videos... I didn't realize like there was so I had grew such a lovely, strong community, people who were like war historians. I had veterans commenting on my band of brothers videos saying, you know, like how much they enjoyed them and stuff. And people who were like old guys who were like, I was in the Vietnam war, that gun you're asking about, this is the history behind that. And like this whole community came from these band of brothers reaction videos. And I was like, Oh damn, I guess there is more to the reaction genre than just acting foolish and watching content. So this is my, you know, semi-formal apology to reaction video guys for slandering you in the past and saying reaction videos were like low tier content. They're not at all. And they take so much work to edit. I had no idea. I always thought it'd be super quick, but you really got to, you know, refine these down and cut them. And I, I ended up stopping reaction videos just because... Um, I filmed in my basement and it became such a hassle because I host a lot of people in my basement, a lot of friends to take down my lights every time and set up the lights every time. And then to move my office around, like it just became so much. And it came to the point where I would look at a lighting tripod and I would just get pissed off because <laughs> you'd set it up and then you'd go to sit down to watch the show. You trip over it and you'd be fucking pissed. Then you'd go to hit record. Oh, I, I forgot to charge my battery. So I got to wait two hours for my battery to charge. Like so much stuff just started happening and these little inconveniences were becoming so annoying and I hated it. But maybe I'll come back to reaction videos and I'll tell you why, because I've bought a bunch of new camera gear, cameras that don't have a time record limit, cameras that don't need to be charged. I got these little um, uh, battery plug-in extensions for my camera. So that really eases the editing process. So maybe I'll come back to them because I did love the community that they drew. And every day I got comments saying, dude, you have four more episodes of the Pacific left to react to. Please react to them. Or you never uploaded the finale to the WandaVision reaction. And I was like, yeah, because I don't want to edit them because it pisses me off. And that's why I built this studio in my garage for Luke and friends as well, because I was like, I need a space. I don't need to tear down. I don't need to set up. I build it once. I can invite the guests over. We sit down, hit record. Because the number one cause of burnout for me was the setup and teardown of the set. Every time I'd just be so annoyed with it. Yeah, that's something that for, you know, the setting up and stuff like that, it's no joke. Like, 
having to worry about, I mean, like we were talking about this before we jumped on, like I really would have loved to do this in person. And I was just like, yeah. man, like for the reality of me having someone in my place, which is, you know, Hey, like I, I live in a much better area now than I did uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it would have been great, but I'm like, I'm going to have to set up all this stuff and there's reverberation I got to deal with. I'd have to have blankets all over the place. And it's just like, yeah. man, like, is it really going to be worth it for, you know, the hour, hour and a half or whatever conversation as fun as it would be. The burnout from that is, can be real. And the burnout from editing and, you know, as someone who's been doing this for six years, every week, basically, aside from a week here and there, like it can get to be a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. video. That's why I don't do video anymore. Even on my level, it was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's so annoying. That's it. Well, and so transitioning in from the YouTube stuff and things of that nature, you did a couple of cool things. Obviously, like, you know, I already mentioned the reading and you did this really short, fun video that I really, really liked. And it was uh, the reading of Night Gaunts by HP Lovecraft. Just a short yeah. little. And that was, I loved it because I know you have that voice in you and that, that theatrical. And it was just, the short little 52 second video, black and white. It's just you. There's no mic on you or anything. It's just you reading this. And I was like, this is like, where has this been? This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you pointed that one out. That's um, a very obscure video of mine. Didn't get a lot of views, but I was like, you know, the HP Lovecraft content is great because it's all public domain. No one owns it. So you can legally sell print copies. You can legally sell and record audiobooks of any HP Lovecraft stuff. And my favorite part is you can legally adapt them into screenplays without paying for rights. So me and my brother are very interested in that aspect of them. But yeah, the HP Lovecraft um, omnibus that I have uh, is called the Necronomicon. That thing is awesome. It's just packed to the brim. It's got almost all of his books. And H.P. Lovecraft, notorious racist and anti-Semite, unfortunately. But what's very interesting about his books is almost all of them, the theme is the fear of the other or fear of some sort of uh, other species or race. And then you look into his real life and you're like, oh, horrible person, horrible, horrible. And not even like in like a canceling for like uh, just being racist in the past. Like this guy like literally wrote like, anti-black literature but um so it's, it's so weird to see his uh books be almost woke in that sense and it's not on video but i'm doing air quotes around this word woke it's just a good description because they're almost like uh metaphorical warnings against being racist and then you look at the the man behind them but um yeah i i do love all his work and i think it's so eerie and creepy and i was like you know what this would be great stuff to read because it's free and because it's short so yeah i would love to do it. and i plus that was good stuff to put out on tiktok as well because i was doing daily readings of lord of the rings on tiktok and i was like is there anything i can read in full in a single tiktok video and i found night Gaunts, and i was like oh perfect and it's the first book in the entire collection of his uh, work. Well, that's what was fun too about the actual video itself. Like, it's just like you just open it up to the first page and start reading. And I was like, I thought visually that was such a cool video. <laughs> I, I have to ask though, what were you, were you just using like your camera's mic for that? Or like, it's like it sounds like really, really clean. Uh, no, I'm using this mic, the Rode NT1. Oh, okay. 
Um, now there might be a bit of compression on it coming through this uh, call, so I don't know how the audio sound is going to be too well. But this microphone can sound very, very good. Yeah, because I was, uh, I didn't know if you had because like I was like obviously like you know there wasn't a microphone right in front of you, right in front of your face. So I was yeah. like, I didn't know what you were using for. But yeah, no, that was that was a video I really, uh, I really enjoyed. But going from that. You mentioned to me earlier that doing this kind of content and the reading and things of that nature mm-hmm. actually l- kind of led into what you're doing now. Yeah. And sorry, I'm just pulling up this Night Gaunts video because I want to see if I actually did shoot it on the NT1 because I'm looking at the thumbnail and this is actually a, one of my better thumbnails. Holy cow. It's a good looking <laughs> video. Like I, I just, it's definitely one of my favorite videos that you did. <laughs> it's really... uh it looks great. It sounds great. Like, not oh, you know what? Doesn't... I don't think I did use the NT1. I think I used the Rode NTG2 shotgun microphone okay. pointed at me from a distance, or it's possible I was lip syncing because there's no mic in frame. So it either had to have been a shotgun mic or lip synced after the fact. That, yeah, that's really uh, interesting. If you're lip syncing that, you deserve an award because you'd be amazed at how decent my lip syncing is. Because one time I shot like a podcast, and my um, there was some sort of the video got lost or something like that, and I had to maybe oh maybe it was a reaction video. The video asset got lost or destroyed or corrupted somehow, and I was like, well, I'm not reshooting the thing, and I'm not gonna get rid of this audio file. So I had to pretend I was reacting on the video because the audio was me reacting for the first time. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sneak in some reshoots of me saying this. So I, I've, I've pulled off some sneaky moves like that in my past. That's crazy. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I've done the gimmick before where it's like, you know, you're having a two way conversation with someone and your audio fucks up. So you, I have to like insert myself like you know yeah hey, so are uh, you mentioned blah 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 like <laughs> meanwhile you film that like four days later <laughs> yeah yeah i've had to do that before or like you know i am asking someone a question and i am having a bad day and i fumble over the question for five minutes and mm-hmm. i'll you know you'll and you'll know because i always my old producer used to make fun of me because i'd like it doesn't happen a lot but like i'd send them something and now i just let it ride i'm like whatever like it is what it yeah. is it's just me and but i'm like hey can you insert this at well you know 57 mm. minutes or whatever and it's like did you seriously re-record yourself asking that question i was like <laughs> yeah because it's a it's a sentence and it took me a minute to say it so can you like, yeah just, you know. i only had one thing i had to cut out of the voros twins interview they asked me who a friend i mentioned was earlier and i misunderstood who they were talking about and i go wait who and they go that person you said earlier i was like uh wait which person are we talking about and they're like the one for this person and then i said the wrong person's name and they're just like oh so i think they were like he doesn't know what we're talking about and i was like i don't know what they're talking about and then i watched the footage back and i messaged them i was like oh that's who you were talking about so i messaged them and i said this is the answer to that question you're asking me but i just it's like a very awkward 45 seconds so i just cut it entirely from the from the clip there's nothing worse than when the guest you have on asks you something and you can't answer it or you don't understand the question. Like yeah. that's as much as it might suck if you ask a question and the guest will be like, sorry, I don't understand what you mean. Like, what do you mean? Like that sucks. Mm-hmm. But for me, when it's reversed, I feel like, I feel like I'm the dumbest person in the world 
when someone yeah. asks me a question. I'm like, uh. It catches you <laughs> off guard. Your brain is processing everything they're saying and you're trying to work it into, okay, how should I ask the next question or how can right. I lead this in? Because I'm, I'm so focused on listening to them and I'm like, hearing every piece of information they're saying to me and like okay you're wrestling in hungary you're on vacation vacation for 30 days because you want to be so attentive as a host so you can fire back a really relevant good question and then all of a sudden they're like hey what are you up to tomorrow and you're like uh wait what was Pickle. that what <laughs> <Who>? <laughs> exactly so anyways what was the uh, question you asked me i've i've lost track of what you're saying here so going from obviously like doing the youtube stuff and the reading and things yes. of that nature it actually kind of was responsible for you transitioning into the role you're doing now. Yes. Okay. So I work at impact wrestling as a digital producer. Um, and I remember I applied for that because I was like, okay, I'm not making enough money at YouTube. Like I was making like a decent amount of money. And then plus my self-employed media work. Um, I was, so I wasn't making a ton of money at YouTube and I wasn't making, uh, a ton of money at my self-employed jobs. So I was like, I might have to bite the bullet. It's been three years of the best years of my life. Amazing gap year. So maybe I should get a degree or go to film school or something. And I was literally in the process of typing applications when I saw um, an opening at Impact Wrestling posted in a Facebook group for Toronto filmmakers who are just seeking new hires or crew members. And I saw this post and it was like uh, editing degree not required and passion for wrestling not required but extremely uh favorable and i was like um you know what why not apply why not apply and then my friend who actually was in the position who was leaving it he messaged me and said hey i just left i know they're trying to fill this position you should apply and i was like oh you know what why not before i apply to film schools and i never ever in my life i always said i'm never going to work for anyone it's going to be a luke Perron just me. I was like, I never want to work on someone else's schedule. I never want to be on someone else's time, but I was already doing video editing for wrestling companies freelance. And I was like, well, I kind of rationalized it in my head by going like, well, it's already what I'm doing now just for a lot more money and nine to five. And I was like, okay, hmm, am I willing to work nine to five was basically the question. And I was like, hmm, it took me a while to think about and I was like, you know what? No, because I would much rather work nine to five than go to school nine to five basically for four years where I can work at impact and make insane connections, do work I'm already doing, except on a consistent basis with benefits plan and like and a proper, you know, salary and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll apply, but I didn't have a resume. I didn't have like a CV. I didn't really know what to send. So I whipped up a reel um, of like my best wrestling edits that I had done and my best cinematography. And I sent it with a, um, just kind of a paragraph about myself, not even in a PDF resume or anything like that. And I got an interview based on that. The first interview went great. It was with a really awesome guy. And then they said, okay, We'll let you know if there's a second interview. And they said, we want to interview a second time. And I had only ever sent them my wrestling reel. That was in my wrestling reel is on a separate channel. It's not on the Luke Perron channel. It's on a channel called Perron Media. And I was like, okay. And I really cleaned up my socials too, because being a wrestling fan, you tweet a lot about wrestling and a lot of your opinions about wrestling. I was like, I need to go delete any sort of outlandish thing where I'm saying anything kind of out of pocket about a wrestler or a promotion. 
because I was like, I want them to think that I'm like a nice, respectable guy, um, which I, you know, I think I am. <laughs> which, but yeah, but it, it, every once in a while, you might be and like, Kenny you know, Omega ah. was the Impact Wrestling champion at the time, and you know, I love Kenny Omega. I'm obsessed with him. I think he's a very handsome guy. So sometimes. I would tweet some kind of funny things about, you know, how good looking he is and all that sort of thing. I was like, but you know what, if I'm, if I'm in the running to be working in the same company as this guy, I probably shouldn't be saying stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even any inappropriate. It's just like, if I'm going to be meeting him or working with him or any other wrestler for that matter, shouldn't be saying stuff like that. Just say something professional. So I cleaned all that up, but I didn't think I was like, I'm not going to touch anything on my personal YouTube channel. I'm act, I act like a goofball on my YouTube channel. Right? So I'm just like my unauthentic or my uh, my authentic self when they're unfiltered. So I joined my second interview, and my first interview was with a guy who just did media at Impact. My second interview was a guy who was like one of the higher ups at Anthem, and he's this like real educated businessman with like a ton of experience at huge companies. And I was real nervous. I made a big mistake of googling him before, and I was like, okay, this guy's like legit. Like, holy cow, this guy's scary. We join our meeting. First thing he says, he goes. Luke, before we start our interview, I just got to get something out of the way. I checked out your YouTube channel and I'm like, oh, oh fuck. I'm like, it's over. It's over. And he goes, your dad, your dad's own review. Loved it. What a book, eh? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. The dead zone. What a, what an f- amazing book. And he's like that movie too with Martin Sheen. What a tremendous movie. I'm so glad that you're passionate about Stephen King. I checked out your YouTube videos. Great work. And I'm like, holy shit. Oh my God. <laughs> God of God. Completely different. <laughs> I, yeah. I, Cause when he said, I checked out your YouTube channel, I was like, it's over. And then he just talked about Stephen King with me. And then he's like, oh, I noticed you have a, a collection of Dune books in the background. You a big fan of the Dune series? I was like, yeah. yeah. So he talked about books for like 10 minutes. And then he's like, well, I, I, we better get this interview underway. And I was like, oh my God. So the interview went great. And um, yeah, they were super receptive. They knew that I, I said, you know, my dream in life isn't to be, you know, an assembly cut line editor for a tv show my dream in life is to you know be my own boss to be a filmmaker or work really somewhere creatively where i can really take the reins on something and they were super receptive about it and as you can see i'm doing a lot more hands-on work at impact now photography and video production i'm not just editing anymore i really do a, a kind of a wide net of content there and I, I yeah i love it i love it so my youtube channel really helped out there because i think it gave me that nice link with my boss as a nice icebreaker so that's fantastic. And I mean, that was something else too that harkening back to social media where I, I'm scrolling through social media one day and it's like, oh, let's look up to. And then I see like you you posted, I, I can't remember who it was a picture of, but I was like, oh, he must have been in an event. Was it Josh Alexander? I don't, yeah, Josh maybe, Alexander yeah. from Peterborough Wrestling probably. Yes. Well, so it was it was after that. It was something he he had done with Impact. And, oh. and I, I saw that and I went, oh, he must have been in it. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. What's he's with impact right now. So then I like started clicking through and I was like, holy shit. Like <laughs> Luke's the, like, wh- when did this happen? Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Which was so fun. And like, you know, now it's just like this, this such an awesome thing to see just as much as yes, eventually you want to be able to kind of do more hands-on stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. it's gotta be cool to, you know, be such a wrestling fan. And now it's like, Hey, you're actually working in the business, doing something like that. Yeah. That's and gotta be very cool. rarely does it sort of hit me like, Oh, this is insane. Like, 
a lot of things have happened where I just kind of shrugged the shoulders and I'm like, just another day on the job. Like, um, I, I remember speaking, uh, in a Twitter space to Mickey James, just kind of shooting the shit back and forth. That was pretty cool, but I wasn't like really flabbergasted by or anything like that. And then all these wrestlers started following me and that wasn't too shocking. Like I, I was expecting all that. Even meeting Jay White and Tomohiro Ishii when I was in um, uh, New York for Rebellion, I thought like, of course, I was like so excited because I loved those guys. And you know, I'm a New Japan guy, right? And up until two, like a year and a half ago, New Japan was it for me. Like they were the like they were my favorite wrestling company in the world. So to meet two of like the cornerstone guys at New Japan who were like world champion, like the like Jay White, like one of like the goat of all goats, I was like. I'm going to get to photograph Jay White. Then I met him. It went super smooth. I said, hey, can I grab a few photos of you for Instagram? He was awesome to work with. Super nice guy. And then same with Tomohiro Ishii. But then where it really hit me is when when the mundane things happen. I remember I sat down beside Chris Sabin, um, TNA X Division legend, one of the greatest X Division wrestlers of all time, and uh, one half the Motor City Machine Guns, one of the greatest TNA tag teams of all time. And I remember I sat beside Chris Saban and he looked at me, he goes, you ever play this uh, Wordle game? I'm like, oh yeah. He goes, I think I'll think I'll do today's right now. And we're in the locker room. The guy's in his gear uh, after his match. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll do it too. So I'm sitting beside Chris Saban. We're discussing the Wordle, trying to solve it together. We solved it. And I was like, okay, I better go back, get back to work. I walk away and I just kind of hit me. I was like, dude, like, <laughs> what the fuck just I happened? just did a world with Chris Saban what the fuck yeah I'm like so it's because when I'm in work mode like photographing like these legends I'm not really thinking about it like that I'm like I just got to take some pictures of the guy and make some cool pictures out of this right so you're in, you're in content mode you're in professional mode but when I kind of I'm, I'm like my camera's not in hand and I'm just sitting around I'm just Luke at that point I'm not you know I still carry myself professionally but my mindset isn't the same so to sit there relaxed in a very casual setting, it's so it's almost like, you know, you've met a lot of people through this and through your collaboration with like Mean Beard. Like what's his name? Like who's some of the bigger guys you've worked with? So I mean, like I mean, owner of Mean Beard Barry's talking through Dave's Grace is definitely I would so, say. So like let's say him, right? Him, so yeah. that that must have been really cool, but you know it's in a work capacity. But if you were to sit down and just have like uh, lunch with him that would be the true shocking right. thing right yeah. but when you're meeting him through a mean beard collaboration or something like a sponsorship you're like oh yeah it's business it's great to meet you i'm really excited but to do like a mundane activity that's when it kind of hits you like i've crossed a line here i'm i'm no longer like uh you're you're, you're almost like in the in of it all you know like that uh, when i was like wow that is like an experience like so few people get to have and um yeah, like I'm not ashamed to be so excited about because like a lot of people might be like, it's not like unprofessional, but like a lot of people forget like, dude, it's okay to be like, dude, my job is so cool. So like, and especially because I've been a wrestling fan like all my life, right? So like, so when this stuff happens, I'm like, wow, like that is so like, look look at me now. Like I, if I had told uh, 10-year-old Luke this, well, 10-year-old Luke would have said, you watch TNA, what the hell are you thinking? But <laughs> growing up, Luke would be like, <laughs> Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I just I'm really I'm really proud of myself and everything that's uh, worked out recently. So that's so awesome, man. And I mean, you know, just get Sam Mel on you for a second, like, you know, I, th my joke is always the fact that oh, I remember you coming to gigs music when you were like 
13 years old and like yeah. seeing how far you've come and how much you're just kicking ass. It's just like, it's so awesome to see, man. I'm Thank you. Like, yeah. And even so think cool back to, to, you know, when I had to shoot a commercial in my eighth grade class, I did that little video at gigs, right? Like right. I don't even know, you know, that is all part of the journey of building to me getting to where I am today, shooting that video with you. That's, the first real advertisement I shot, I don't even know if it was an advertisement. It just had to be a project about someone or something. I think it was, like, if I remember correctly, because that just like triggered my brain. If I remember mm -hmm. correctly, you had to do a project on a local business, but it couldn't, it couldn't be like an advertisement. It had to be like about the business and the people there, if I remember correctly. Okay. So I don't know like what the heck that would be relevant for in eighth grade, like, or what yeah, subject I that either, could have been but. for. <laughs> But I think there was a, a class that's called media literacy, um, which I never knew what that meant until I say the word media literacy out loud now. They need to do a better job of teaching media literacy <laughs> to young people because a lot of people are illiterate when it comes to consuming media. But yeah, it's probably for media literacy. So yeah, like that was, I, I learned how to work with people in a professional setting because that was the first time I'd ever shot like a business owner who wasn't like directly related to me. And I was like, oh, TJ lets me loiter in his story. He probably wouldn't mind if I shot some video. So like, yeah, it all, it all is part of the process. And for anyone listening to this, just know that like whatever art form you're interested in, every single, let's say you're a painter, every painting you make, no matter how shit it is, or if it's completely off brand or it's a complete style you've never tried before, it's all relevant to leading you to where you're going to be. And I, I don't believe like everything happens for a reason. I actually detest that sort of like concept. If you believe that, that's like totally cool. But when I try to process it in my mind, I'm like, no, 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 nothing happens for a reason because we make our own reasons. We make our own choices. We make our own moves in life. Everything in life is completely randomized, but what you do to set your own life into action is all relevant. So it, me choosing to shoot that video with you, that didn't happen for a reason. The reason was I went, oh yeah, I like doing videos and I'll go shoot one with TJ. That, that's the, that was the reason right there. So, but it's all part of, basically I'm saying you're, everything that happens is relevant in your life journey. So it's all part of the process. And like they say, uh, I, there's a really good expression. I think it's, there's a thousand bad drawings in every pencil you have to get out. So for, yeah, so it's the same with video. You got to shoot a thousand bad videos before the good ones come through, right? Or you have to flush all the negatives and all your mistakes. You have to get all the mistakes out of the way so you can learn from them all. So it was all, and it's like, sometimes I look back at videos, I'm like, wow, what a bad video. But then I think, you know, I bet you this video was so bad. I learned never to do that again. So it's, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. That's awesome. And I mean, that's a beautiful saying too. And I mean, that's something that I think any creator of any level of any type can relate to that, where it's just like, you know, basically it's even like the old saying, you know, you got to do things a, a thousand times before you get good at it. Right. It's like learning mm. a skill. Like you have to do that. And I mean, I think the stuff you're doing now, I always thought you were super talented just for the record, but Thank like you. the stuff you're doing now, I look at it and I'm just like, damn, like, you know, and now with what you're doing with impact and then obviously before we go, I got to make sure I ask about Luke and friends. You've mentioned it a couple of times yeah, here. Yeah. Now Dude, what you're doing, like, we can take as long as you want. <laughs> yeah. Like let's get into that. Like, what kind of made you want to get into doing these video interviews with Luke and friends? Well, I remember when I started working 
in not working, uh, wrestling, um, at battle arts and training. I just remember like meeting so many cool people. And I thought, and I remember I met Anthony Corelli. And then when I met Anthony, I was like, okay, you're Santino Morello, a WWE wrestler, intercontinental champion. Um, almost beat Daniel Bryan in Elimination Chamber. You are like a, a bona fide, like proper WWE star. And when I met him, I kind of it kind of clicked in my head just how easy it is to kind of work with who you want to work with and meet who you want to meet in a professional setting. I was like, you know, I, I just because, so sitting there shaking hands with Anthony Corelli, training with him, I'm like, okay, I've gotten so used to this already. This guy knows a thousand people. All I got to do is ask if I want to, you know, if I say, hey, I would love to photograph so-and-so sometime. Could you uh, put me in contact with him? And Anthony thought I was a really reputable guy. I showed him all my work. And so I said to him, I said, hey, I'd love to shoot some battle arts stuff sometime. He said, okay. And battle arts always has big name wrestlers come out. Every student show, they have uh, kind of a big name uh, do a main event just to... um, just as kind of something awesome to get the students like hyped up. So I remember one of the last matches crime time ever uh, did together was a tag match at battle arts, the crime time, WWE legends. So Anthony has all these um, big names come through and I was like, you know, I could probably work with some of these people. Cause like, these are people I've known since I was a kid. I would love to kind of get into that sphere and even destiny wrestling in Toronto. They are probably like the most hype, like India around here and calling them an indie is almost like, um, uh, an oversimplification like they got professional video production and it, the term indie wrestling nowadays is so almost like not outdated because they are independent wrestling companies but the video production the budget the stage production the venues are selling like gcw sold out the hammerstein ballroom and that's an indie because they don't have a major distribution deal and not owned by like a corporate entity so the, the term indie nowadays is very very loose because an indie can be 10 people in a church basement or it can be selling out the Hammerstein ballroom, but destiny wrestling, Anthony worked with them all the time. And they would always have massive names on there. Like Ray Mysterio, John Morrison, Rob Van Dam, um, you know, huge names. And I was like, okay, I know Anthony can hook me up with this. So I messaged Anthony. I was like, Hey, could you send my info to destiny? He's like, I'll tell you right now, destiny has a photographer already, but I'll send you stuff along the way. And I actually never ended up getting to work with Destiny, but um, I'm kind of going off on a, a, a semi-unrelated tangent here. But basically, I realized, like, you know what? I just send a lot of emails, and I can probably meet and talk to a lot of interesting people. And um, especially, and I hate to say this, but it does get a little bit easier once you have, because if people are listening to this, um, don't be discouraged by me saying this. It does get easier once you have a corporate affiliation. Like so, like when I got signed with Impact, when I I got signed, I'm not a wrestler there. When I got hired <laughs> at Impact, when I got hired at Impact, um, for the Anthem Christmas gift, they sent out these uh, beautiful Impact track jackets. So when you got that on and you're conversing with wrestlers, they they kind of already know you're legit. Yeah. But I think know. about how many podcasts probably are bombarding emails a day to wrestlers they 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 can only do so many and it's not a personal slight if they don't respond to your email just think about how busy a lot of these people are but if you do have that um affiliation with impact or any sort of brand they go oh okay i know you're legit they don't have to do the extra work of doing research looking into who you are they can just say oh yeah sure like, like let's do it um but long story short i met anthony corelli he was a bona fide star i was like okay anything's possible at this point. And before I got uh, into wrestling, 
my parents would always say, uh, they would come when I, cause I'm self-employed, right. They would say, what do you do all day? Like not in an offensive term, like, um, like I was sitting around all day. They were genuinely curious. Like when you go down to your computer all day, I know you don't have any videos edit or photos right now. What are you, what are you doing? And I say, mom and dad, basically all day, every day, all I do is research local businesses, local artists, local everyone. And I send out about a thousand emails saying, Hey, love your work. Hey, love your business. Would love to work with you sometime. Here's my reel. Let's put something together. I have gotten every opportunity in my life by doing that. And Sea Shepherd, for example, you have to be 18 to join Sea Shepherd. When I was 17, I emailed Sea Shepherd. I said, Hey, I know I can't join right now. Here's my resume. Here's who I am. The day I turn 18, I'm going to remind you about this, but here's my stuff. And they said, they emailed me back and they said, whoa, you're 17. Great work. Great application. We're glad to see you're interested in this so young. 18th birthday comes along. They give me a phone call and they say, hey, it's your birthday day, right? I'm like, yep. And they go, happy 18th birthday. You want to join Sea Shepherd? And I was like, yeah, I do. And then boom, I'm doing campaigns. So Working with local businesses, I'm reaching out to activists, James Aspie, legendary vegan activist. I reached out to him and I said, hey, would love to work with you sometimes. And he's kind of got canceled recently for like some crypto scam. So apologies for bringing him up if anyone's like, oh, James Aspie, but whatever. Um, anyway, a legendary vegan activist. I emailed him and I was like, hey, would love to work with you sometimes. So I knew I could apply that same logic to wrestling. So I was like, I would love to sit down and talk to some of these people just about like the crazy world of wrestling. So I did a test run with uh, NXT superstar Ariana Grace before she got signed. She was, uh, you know, one of my closest pals at Battle Arts, and she shot a test episode with me in August of Luke and Friends. Didn't have a name at the time. We shot it in the ring at Battle Arts Academy, and it was so fucking bad. I remember watching it back, and I was like, uh, "Okay, all this sucks," but now that I know what not to do. Fast forward a year, I'm like, I've got this studio built in my garage and I send out emails to um, every wrestler I know. But I was like, you know, I want to go beyond just wrestlers. I want to get content creators. So I got some TikTokers. And a lot of it um, is, and I'm sorry, I'm ranting so much information here and so much info. So I, no, no, I this apologize. I've wanted all this. So this is topic. great. You know. So, okay. So um, now... Okay, anyone listening to this, a lot of people will tell you if you're in this field, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That is a big fucking lie or not a lie, but a misconstruing of the truth. They say it's not what you know, it's who you know. This is true, but only in the sense that if you know certain people, you can get certain things. For example, Anthony Corelli of Battle Arts Academy, Santino Morella. But do you know how I got to know him? by inquiring about joining his wrestling school. It's not like I was just born knowing these people, right? Um, I'll use another one. Cody Bowles, Juno award-winning musician of Crownlands. We grew up in the same town, um, but we never knew each other until a year ago. Um, I knew Cody had a lot of the same interests as me. We followed each other on social media. I remember I picked up some really uh, nice hardcover edition of this Tolkien book, and Cody messaged me and said, Hey, uh, awesome pickup. And I was like, oh, wow, Cody Bowles from Crownlands messaging little old me. How interesting. But then it's a simple starting conversation. I said, oh, thanks so much. By the way, love what you're doing. Your art's really interesting. I would love to talk to you more about it sometime. We had lunch and talked about art. Turns out Cody's got so much going on. They um, 
have a, all these creative endeavors and we just like linked up that way. And um, I'll give you another example here. Stratford actor Luke Humphrey, um, incredibly talented actor and television producer. Um, I did not know this person, but I sent Luke Humphrey a DM on Instagram and I said, hey, I know, I know you're a film producer. We've never met except for one time I asked for a picture with you when I bumped into you on the street one time because I was such a big fan. But I sent I sent him a DM on uh, Instagram and I said, here's my reel. Here's my photography portfolio. I know you're producing a horror film. I would love to shoot on your film for free. And sometimes you got to take one for the team like that, guys, just to make the connections. Shooting for free. I know it's a big no-no, but it paid off in the long run because I, and Luke Humphrey goes, Oh, wow. Thanks for reaching out. Would love to have you on this film. When I'm on this film set, I meet this guy, Glenn Matthews, who as well as being a director is a producer at impact. When he leaves his position at impact, he messages me. So when people say it's not what you know, it's who, you know, somewhat true, but you get to know these people by your own action and none of it falls into your lap. Right? So I, it, Imagine if I didn't DM Luke Humphrey, right? And say, hey, I would love to work with you sometime. None of this could, well, th this probably would have happened, but it would have taken a lot longer because I didn't take that initiative to put myself out there, guys. Right. You gotta, you gotta put yourself out there. And every connection I have is just from me sending an email, sending a DM. So if you guys ever feel slighted, like, oh, they know this person or they got this connection because of who they knew. You get to know these people. That's how it happens, right? And everyone has the power in them to send that email. So anyway, I, I shot this. So do you have any questions or anything before I go on no, the 10th hour of this rolling, monologue? I, I, I don't even need to be here. This is great. I love I love conversations <laughs> like this. I really do. <laughs> Thank you. But so anyway, so Bianca Corelli, Ariana Grace, as they're known as NXT, was so gracious. I, I said, hey, could I shoot this interview with you? And uh, she was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. Let's do it. Um, and um, so yeah, and it, it fucking sucked. The episode is horrible. I never uploaded it. I watched the footage back, but I, I kind of knew it was going to suck and I wanted it to suck because if it went perfect, well, it, it wouldn't go perfect, but if it went good, I'd be content with it and go, oh, okay, that's good. I can start filming now, but it was horrible. I was like, okay, I thought the idea of shooting in a wrestling ring would be good. It looks bad. The lighting sucks. The sound quality sucks because I'm in an open gym. I got to get a studio. So it's October. I'm looking for studios, building a guest list of people I want to work with. Right. Um, the guest list is a lot of like people who aren't really known. Like it really took Luke and friends to like the literal friends, like the people who are just my literal friends <laughs> through wrestling nothing wrong with that. But the original guest list only had two people that are still coming on Tempest and Ariana Grace, who probably can't come on anymore because WWE has to sort their PR and all that. And we, so anyway, it's a big thing there, but October comes around. I start looking for a set. I find a set to build in, in January. I start to survey the space, get ready to build the set. I realized they got an industrial air conditioner that can't be turned off. And I would have to build four walls, completely insulated, soundproof roof, soundproof door. I was like, okay, this is going to cost way too much money. So I go back to ground one, looking for a set. While I'm looking for a set, I'm photographing, showing my face at every wrestling show I can, okay? I'm going to um, Destiny shows, right? Luckily, Impact had a connection with Destiny, Um 
so they would sometimes shoot impact digital matches or there'd be some sort of um, impact thing going on. So I, I could have a reason to be there just to shoot some impact stuff. But I got to meet a lot of great guys there. Um, and the Destiny team is awesome. They're really cool. Um, but through Destiny, I met so many people. And um, Aiden Prince, who's coming on the podcast now, and Mike Bailey, who is probably... Mm, not a lot of people would tell you you're wrong if you said Mike Bailey was the best in-ring performer currently wrestling right now. Um, lo- <laughs> lucky for Mike Bailey that Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi are out with injuries and all that. <laughs> but I think Mike Bailey is like the incredible. Um, so meeting all these people and I was like, okay, so I finally get this set built in um, beginning of April maybe. And so I, I, oh, and the space I end up finding is my garage in my own home. So that's a nice little twist. I begged my parents. I was like, let me shoot in the garage. Let me well, shoot that in the garage. was lucky. I, yeah. And they were like, no, 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 you can't shoot in the garage. You can't shoot in the garage. And I finally dropped these detailed blueprints, a breakdown of the, how the whole thing would work. How can I, cause we have, we store a lot of stuff in our garage. I got three kayaks behind me as I'm filming this. So we had to build it in such a way that it was malleable and modular so the garage can still be operational but it still looks nice and beautiful and permanent so i ended up building my garage and i finally build up enough connections by sending emails sending messages showing my face a lot and the only people i had to really um not work to get but step outside my comfort zone was the Voros twins, legendary TikTokers behind the Davinci meme because every wrestler i had met before or talked before with mike bailey Aiden Prince, Kobe Durst, Bupinder Gujar, a lot of people I had met before at shows. Um, and going back to it's who you know. Yes, these are people I already knew, but I got to know them on my own will, my own initiative of going to shows and working shows. And someone asked me, said, how do you how did you get involved in working wrestling shows? Sending an email to every wrestling promotion in Canada <laughs> saying, here's my portfolio. I'll work for you for super cheap. That's how you get to know these people and get into wrestling. So, um, but also, you know, don't price yourself um, for your cheating other photographers at work and stuff like that. But it's a it's a fine balance. But anyways, so I met all these people. The only people I had to have a first time interaction with were the Voros twins, and I sent them a, a DM and I said, um, and you know, guys, don't try to if anyone's like interested in starting like a show like this, don't try to. Um, act all like buddy buddy with these people or like um you know show them that you're a serious person you need business i sent them a dm i said hey guys i'm starting to show luke and friends here's some of my accolades wrestling photographer work at impact uh experienced photojournalist i want to talk to creators about creating let me know if this is something you'd be interested in any dates i can i can work around your dates and what's your booking fee what's your budget or what uh, i'll let you know my budget let's see if we can make something work so it was as simple as approaching them. And they messaged me back instantly. And they're like, hey, we'd love to do it. And I was like, awesome, awesome. So yeah, and I finally got all these people booked and set built. And now we're here. And I'm, I've am i launched the first episode. And this, so this has been like a year in the making since that first test tasting with our test ta- test taping with Ariana Grace. Um, and the first episode is out. It's underperforming, but expectedly so just because I haven't uploaded in so long. The YouTube algorithm like forgot I existed and they're like, oh, you're back. Um, Maybe we'll show your video around. But <laughs> once I get back into consistent uploads, the numbers will pump up again. But um, yeah, so we're finally here. And I just sat back the other day after the Voros Twins interview. They said, oh, what are your plans for the rest of the day when we were done? And I was like, you know, I didn't think that far ahead. 
Because all I've been thinking about is building this studio for the last year. I've taped the first episode. I don't even know what I'm going to do now. So I just sat down and watched an episode of Planet Earth and I was like, life is good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so cool, man. And I mean, like, you know, given with just looking at the the roster that you uploaded of people that you're going to have on, like, it's so exciting to see. I mean, I'm looking forward to your chat with Cody. I'm such a big mm-hmm. fan of Cody and the work that Crownlands has done. I mean, I have nothing but the utmost love and respect for for the uh, the Crownlands crew. And I mean, there's there's going to be some good stuff coming from that. And I mean, I'm hyped. I think yeah. that judging from the the Volus Twins interview, like it was such a a fun interview, and it was respectful. Again, you didn't just let's talk about TikTok for an hour. It's like mm-hmm. you were having, it was which a I fun get, right. but it's I think. You, you watch one interview like that and you've seen them all like that, you know, if they ask the same questions a lot of the time. So I, I was like, I, I need to give people a reason to watch this interview, which is why I ask very stupid questions like what fictional characters do you relate to the most? So people can learn about them on a personal side, not just saying, what's it like being famous now? Right. Let's learn about the people behind. And when like something I always say to people is like, when I have someone on, it's because I either have stuff I want to ask them that I would ask them while we were sitting and having a, having a coffee yeah. or I've heard them do other interviews and with the utmost due respect to that interviewer, there was stuff that I was like, man, I I really think that this question should have been asked because there's so much left on the table or I want to know about this from this person. It's a selfish thing for me, you know, and like a creator I had on not that long ago, Jason Wilson from the gray rooms, which is my favorite podcast. Mm -hmm. Like when I had him on, we had fun. Both of us had kind of been drinking. So, you know, it was a little more loose and like, I've gotten to know him now. Like we're kind of buddies now, but like I have, I'm such, was still fanboying so much talking to him. Yeah. I was just like asking him things I'm curious about. I forgot we were recording a podcast halfway through that interview. Like, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, we're recording a podcast. Like just, that's the kind of content that excites me now. That's the kind of content Mm -hmm. I want to make and Yes, obviously doing a interview show as opposed to a podcast conversation. I do think there is a difference. So with absolutely, the, yeah, and definitely, you you're really going to see that with the Voros twins was more of a structured interview because one, um, that was my first time speaking to them ever, other than a quick back and forth Twitter DM. Um, and also, it was all the other guests are going to be in person in the studio. Um, which I'm very grateful for having for like, you know, Mike Bailey coming from Montreal, which especially with gas prices these days, like I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, but um, yeah, everyone's in person and I, I've met everyone prior except for, uh, I've talked to Bupindo Gujar like once for like a split second. Um, but um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah. So structured interview with the voice ones because it was online and uh, I had booked them for an hour. These are very busy guys, you know, in the gym all day, wrestling, um, training, making TikToks, doing streaming. So these are busy guys. And I, I booked them for only an hour. Um, so I had to keep it tight, but with the Tempest interview, this is a guy who's, you know, one of my best friends in wrestling. It's more of a free flow conversation where one question sort of gets the ball rolling um, cause he's a journalist and media personality. So for example, I say, what do you think, uh, it is about wrestling that kind of breeds this, 
hyper contempt or need to be right about wrestling. And then we just went off for like 40 minutes on a single question. We're talking about Twitter and people, you know, telling you, telling you off on streams. And then they get the kind of the culture around wrestling online. And then me and Tempest switch over to a game where we do, how well do you know your tag team partner? We have these whiteboards where we reveal our answers to questions that we think that they're going to say. We do a lot of fun with it. So I think the Cody interview is really going to surprise a lot of people because, um, uh, me and them, we're not going to talk too, too much about Crownlands for two reasons. The first being, if it's a Crownlands sort of affiliated interview, I, I think Universal has to be brought into the discussion and into the process because, uh, you know, they're signed to Universal Music. And I was saying to Cody, I would love to have you on. And they were like, yeah, I'd love to be on, but it kind of has to be a line. If it's like a pure promoting a Crownlands album, we got to run it through Universal. And there might be like a booking fee, you know, uh, uh, affiliated with that or some sort of contract thing or, and I was like, okay, um, what if I just have you on as a, a, a general creative and Cody's like, yeah, like that we can go off with that. So, you know, and plus I don't want to talk all crown lands without Kevin there either. It just uh, doesn't right. make sense yeah. to be like, Oh, cause you're the vocal, you know, there's this stupid thing where people make the vocalist out to be the face of the band where a band, is, you know, crown is a two piece band where both these folks are doing a lot of work, right? So um, Cody uh, is in my Dungeons & Dragons party, and we play Dungeons & Dragons all the time, my D&D group. Um, so we see each other all the time, and uh, me and Cody started off as just creatives wanting to get together to chat about our creative work, right? Um, and then through that, we just have become you know best, best friends, really. And... Um, so I think people are going to be surprised. At, we're going to be talking a lot of uh, Tolkien, a lot of Lord of the Rings, a lot of movies, a lot of uh, uh, books and science fiction because Cody has read like every Dune book, the entire Foundation series, an annual reader of like the Silmarillion. Cody's like a Tolkien scholar, right? So, and everyone knows I love Lord of the Rings. So me and Cody are going to have so much to talk about that is really going to show people the the creative behind crownlands and it's not just going to be what was the process going into your new album what was the inspiration for this music video you know so it's going to be really just about cody as a creative and not their work in crownlands so i'm really excited for that that'll be a lot of fun i think and that's why that's something like why i'm so excited about it because like you know the cody that i knew back in 2013 the like heavy earth era. Yes. Yeah. I was so interested in them as a creator and like, mm -hmm. just, I was like, man, like there's like, there's a lot going on there. Right. Like it's like the art form of it. And I'm just like, man, like this is so cool. And then to see where they've done with them and Cody, like to know that there's so much more behind that than just, yeah. Hey, music is cool. Yes. Music is really cool, but also mm -hmm. yeah, like there's a lot of well, things. I, I remember when that. the um the music video for their song Context Part One came out. It debuted on Rollingstone.com, which was nuts as it is. And all these articles were calling it a Star Wars inspired music video. And I remember Cody and me were hanging out when it debuted, and we're reading the articles. And I look at Cody and I'm like, Cody, am I wrong in thinking that this is not a Star Wars inspired music video, but a Dune inspired music video? <laughs> and this was before the movie Dune had come out. So Dune wasn't really in like the pop culture zeitgeist yet. It was 
just a David Lynch Dune movie and then the books. And Cody's like, this is a thousand percent Dune inspired. We're wearing still suits from the Dune books in the video. We're walking on sand dunes. And so Cody was like, me and me and them really bonded over the misrepresentation of Star Wars as Dune because everyone, even when Dune came out, people were like, oh, this is just a Star Wars ripoff. And we were like, no, Dune came first. Star Wars is an homage to Dune. So it's fun to just nerd out with Cody about stuff like that. So I'm really excited for our interview because we're going to be, or not even our interviews, our discussion, our chat, our hangout, whatever, because it's going to be a lot of talking about random sci-fi and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm hyped. That's fantastic. I mean, if, if that's not the best kind of little blurb as to why people should tune into Luke and Friends, I don't know what is because oh, it's so going to be – I'm so excited for the project the second that I, – I can't remember if I saw it and messaged you or we were already talking and you sent me the – the picture or something no, you were but- one of the first people i told because i knew you, you know you have the hotter show i was like okay this is a this is a guy who knows what's up in this sort of sphere of discussion discussion and podcast interview style content so when my graphic designer sent me the logo i immediately was like so excited i was like look at this like i knew i had to show you because you kind of were in this world i have no one else who's really in like the podcast sphere and i I do plan to release these on audio podcast form but we'll see i don't know how it all works yet so well if you ever need a hand with that i have made a lot of mistakes in the last six years so i can tell you what not to do (laughs) yeah i have no clue how to like is uploading to Spotify just like uploading a YouTube video? Is there some sort of verification process I got to go through? Yeah, I, I have a billion questions I can ask you off stream. Oh, we'll, oh, we'll talk about that. I, I have <laughs> – that's the one thing. I can't tell you how to, you know, make money off your podcasts and all that fun stuff and how to be famous. <laughs> but I can tell you where to upload it so you can get it on Spotify and things of that nature. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, Luke, it has been an absolute blast getting to catch up with you. I – I knew this was going to be just such a fun conversation and it was, and I thank you so much for the time. Where can people find your content if they want to check it out? So if you guys want to check out Luke and friends, which I uh, very much implore you to do so because we're still finding our footing with, you know, I, I had a professional analyst look at my, uh, I said, uh, why is this Luke and friends video underperforming? Cause when I was uploading constantly, my videos were getting like eight K views on average. Unless it was like a book review, then it would be like 500. But there's no world in which a Voros Twins interview should be getting less views than a review of like Dark Tower Book 3 or something. Um, so I had a professional analyst look at it and I was like, why is this underperforming? He said, well, because the YouTube algorithm forgot you existed because you haven't uploaded where you used to upload four right. videos a day for a year straight. You've uploaded nothing for a year. So now it's like you're starting from ground uh, ground level again. So uh, I very much would appreciate any support checking out Luke and Friends uh, at youtube.com slash Luke Perron or just going to the YouTube search bar, Luke space P-A-R-O-N. Um, my website, if you guys want to check out my photography, is perronmedia.com. Uh, my Twitter is where you're going to see a lot of my impact-related stuff. Um basically exclusively me posting about wrestling and occasionally I'll voice my opinion on a book or a movie or some sort of current political take. But uh, that's Luke V Peron on Twitter, then Luke underscore Peron on Instagram. Instagram, you know, stay up to date with my photos. I really don't post on Instagram as much as I should, but I'm trying to get back into it because I actually have good impact stuff to post nowadays. But um, yeah, and if you guys are into uh, wrestling, we got a ton, a ton of great wrestlers coming on the Luke and Friends podcast. Mike Bailey, um, 
impact wrestling superstar banned from the States for five years and then exploded on the scene. Once their ban was lifted, we got Aiden Prince, Kobe Durst, Ontario royalty in the indie scenes, Bupinda Gujar. And then for my TikTok fans out there, we got the Boros twins and also uh, Grace Smith, a uh, great TikToker and also happens to live down the street from me, uh, which is that that's the one who I know who I was did no work to get to know them because we had classes together in <laughs> high school. They happened to get famous and I was like, I would love to have you on the show. So if you like music, we got Cody Bulls. You know, Crownlands is touring with Greta Van Fleet coming up. That's going to be insane. Um, so the release for that um, interview should coincide with the tour for that, which is really exciting. If you guys haven't listened to Crownlands, give them a listen. Insane uh, prog rock duo, uh, Rush meets Led Zeppelin. So they are just the best best so yeah you guys know my name luke perron you can find me anywhere where socials are existing but uh yeah thanks for thanks for checking out and listening to me ramble today folks i really appreciate it (laughs) thanks so much man all right folks there you have it my chat with my old buddy luke perron and what a fantastic chat that it was and thank you guys for staying tuned for the whole thing up into this outro here because let me tell you I there was not a second of that conversation that I could have cut because I think the overall story of what Luke was saying needed to be told and just I really really love episodes like that where just I can have a deep dive with a guest that hasn't been on for a while and we get to catch up and it's fun for me because I get to just hear everything as if we were just having a coffee which is how I love my podcast to be. Because if you're tuning into this, you are, there's probably about a 95% chance that you're tuning in just for Luke. (laughs) So let's hear from Luke. You know what I'm saying? That's what I like. And big shouts again to Luke for coming on and also for the kind words about how, you know, the part of his journey that I, I I maybe had back in the day and also with this podcast really means a lot. So thank you. Check out Luke and Friends. It's badass. And there's going to be some really, really cool guests that are going to be on Luke and Friends. So check it out, Luke and Friends, on YouTube. I'll have the link down below. And obviously, Impact Wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan, Impact is badass. And Luke does an incredible job with the you know the social media stuff and the digital uh, content that he does create for impact wrestling so keep it tuned to that now i have to take a second here to give a humongous shout out to all of the people who help support this podcast like yourself thank you so very much you are seriously the best if you're still listening to this i'll hope that you will consider sharing this podcast on social media And if you maybe do that, you would also take a second to follow The Hotter Show on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And also, I would be remiss to not give a humongous shout out to all of my patrons, my hotheads. And let me tell you something, folks. We have three new hotheads that I got to give shout outs to. But before we get to them, we got to go with the OGs. Of course, we have my man, Mr. Scotty D, who has been a patron literally since 2019. I did have a little break there for Patreon, but he has been a patron since 2019. Humongous shout out to Scott. Scott, thank you so very much for all of your support over the years, my friend. You know how much I love you. Of course, a humongous shout out to Jason Wilson and the entire Grey Rooms crew for their support 
of this podcast, not only as patrons, but also just the overall support that they have given me in 2022. It has been just amazing, and I cannot thank them enough. And also, The Grey Rooms is my favorite audio drama podcast, my favorite podcast. Go check out The Grey Rooms. Season 4 is coming to an end, and holy fuck, I am hyped for the ending of the season. Holy shit. That's all I'm going to say. Go check out The Grey Rooms. It is the best podcast out there. Of course, a humongous shout out to Ronan Kumori, who was the new guy on the block <laughs> because he has been a business since April. Ro- Ronan, thank you so very much for all of your support of this podcast. You can find Ronan hanging out on the Hotter Show Discord in the Jam Space. He is one of the regular posters in the Jam Space. We have a lot of fun over the Discord, so go check it out and you'll find Ronan there hanging out and sharing some badass music. Now, for the new people here on the Hotter Show Patreon, we have my buddy, Wolf Delta Pi, who is, well, I'm not going to say his real name here, but uh, let's just say he was a guest on this show at one point, and he is a wonderful dude, a badass voice actor and podcaster. So, Wolf, thank you so very much for the support, my man. You know how much I appreciate it, and I promise to keep doing my thing and hopefully Make sure that you get your money's worth out of being a patron. Thank you so very much. And, of course, another new patron, Eric Phones. I hope I'm saying your last name right, buddy. I just realized I've never had to pronounce it before. But Eric is has been a supporter of the show for a little while. You can also find him as well as Wolf over on the Hotter Show Discord. And Eric, is a he, he's an aspiring voice actor and is super talented. And he is somebody that uh, I, I hope in the near future we can have on to have a conversation with and you know talk a little bit about voice acting what inspires him and things of that nature so eric keep tuned for that because i very much appreciate your patronage my man and also eric did uh, have some recommended content that he wanted me to do so stay tuned for that and i'll let you guys know when that does happen that this was eric's idea and the last but not least new patron I have to give a shout out to is my buddy, Mr. Arthur Unk, who, of course, was a guest on this podcast a little while ago, writer of the Grey Rooms. He is now the, I can officially say he is the new, uh, I guess, head writer for the Grey Rooms. And let me tell you, he is just throwing straight fire with these last couple of episodes. And just Arthur is such a talented guy and is a wonderful human being as well. So Arthur, thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart for your patronage and your support and also your friendship. For everybody on this list, your friendship and support seriously means the world to me. Thank you so very much. On top of the fact that, yes, you are patrons and you're having these pledges every month. It really means the world to me. But just having your support and your friendships mean more to me so thank you so very much all of these patrons are getting exclusive content at least once a month over on the hotter show patreon because they are all five dollars and above they're getting access to the tapes of trepidation which is a horror narration podcast i just launched the second episode of it a little earlier than i planned in celebration of i actually got uh three new patrons within like 48 hours basically so i was uh pretty hyped about that and I want to do something to celebrate so I said you know what fuck it let's drop the new episode and let me tell you I am having way too much fun doing the tapes of trepidation as much fun as I have doing this podcast sometimes honestly it's just 
It is a blast. The horror narration world is something I really love to do, and it's so fun for me. But also, I think I'm, I'm I am presenting a unique take on a very kind of uh, uh, watered down and overexposed genre in horror narration, and we have a lot of fun. But on top of that. We also do fun things like in the Discord, there's exclusive channels for the patrons as well as exclusive voice channels in which I'm going to be doing live content just for the patrons. So check it out. And if you are a $10 or above patron, once I hit my next goal, which I'm not that far off, I'm about $35 off a month from hitting my goal of $100 a month, which let me tell you, that gets me really excited and is like I don't even it doesn't even feel real to me to say that statement but I'm only 35 US dollars away from hitting $100 US a month from my Patreon and the second that that happens I'm going to be ringing my man Mr. Jason Reese over at Jaybird Digital Arts for some merch and all of the $10 and above patrons are going to be getting a discount on that merch and let me tell you, it's just, it's such an exciting time right now. This show is in a serious growth period and it is to do a lot with my patrons. So thank you so very much to everybody. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check out the Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash the hotter show. Find the tier that's right for you. We have the $1, $5 and $10. Any tier is seriously appreciated and you will get a little shout out at the end of every single episode regardless of what tier you are on, and you will get my sincerest gratitude and heartfelt thanks and some kind of content. It may not be the exclusive podcast or anything, but you will get some live stream content and things of that nature, even at the $1 a month. Well, I think I have rambled on long enough about all my stuff. Thank you. So if you're seriously still listening to this right now, like just, just give me a hug. Come on. Bring it in. Come on. I won't tell anyone. Come on. Come on. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's there's the love. Yeah. There you go. All right. That's what we hear at the Harder Show call an audio hug. What would that even sound like? Hang on. You do you feel this? This is me hugging you. All right. Ahem. Anyway. <laughs> Today on Stupid Things We Do on the Hotter Show, and that's why I usually don't let myself go quite that long on these outros, because silly things like that happen. This is going to be a over two hour long podcast, and I'm excited about it. If you're still listening to this, like seriously, message me right now and let me know that you're listening to this, and I will give you a prize of some kind. I don't know what it is, but I will like send you a fucking sticker or something, because you're seriously the best. Hope you hit that subscribe button, leave a like, check out Luke Perron, check out the Patreon, check out everyone who supports this podcast, check out the Discord, we have fun over there, I'm actually going to jump on there right now after I'm done this to do a live stream, so I'm going to go do that, and I'll catch you next time on The Hotter Show, take it easy guys.